This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to a kick in the grass. It is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Where are all of these goals coming from? That's what we're tackling this week on the show. Follow us on Twitter at Dan Riccio underscore and at SN Jeff Blair. DMs are open. Send questions for the show to our inboxes. We answer all of your questions in the Injury Time segment at the end of the show. And if you are enjoying us, hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcatcher. That way you never miss any episodes. We appreciate if you'd leave a review as well. Our guest today is Tom Warville, analytics writer at The Athletic. Jeff, what's going on, man? You know, living the dream, living the uh, fantasy league dream here. (laughs) Uh, All I keep hearing, all I keep hearing is all these goals are being scored. I think my captain doesn't (laughs) score goals in. What's up with this? What good is it to me if all these goals are being scored and and, and my captain can't score? Come on. Uh, the uh, the last couple of weeks from a fantasy Premier League uh, perspective have not not been great uh, for for me either. Um, but we we want to start this week with El Clasico, a fixture that has kind of lost its allure, to be quite honest. Uh, Real Madrid three one winners over Barcelona. They have uh, not lost in any of the last three fixtures between these two clubs in La Liga play. And, and this tie, you know, I think about it from Messi, Ronaldo, uh, even, you know, you go back and, and the fights between Pep and Mourinho uh, in, in the early 2010s there. This is, it's kind of sad just how little publicity this got in comparison to, to what it was uh, five, six years ago, Jeff. Well, you know, I think the the problem is that there's there's absolutely no sense that uh you know that barca is i mean there's there's no sense that they're as good as they used to be uh and you know absent that uh absent some of the personalities uh it's just it's yeah it's not the same I, i tactically it's not the same um i i didn't think I didn't think the, you know, emotionally it was anywhere near what it, what it's used to be now. Okay. You're going to tell me, Jeff, not having any fans in the stands makes a difference. Well, perhaps, but not to the degree I saw this weekend. And you know, you know what it is? You get the sense that neither of these clubs enjoys their football right now. You know, there's that, that shot of, uh, in the stands of Isco, uh, you know, criticizing Zidane for the way he's being used. It was picked up by uh, Movistar, by, by, yeah. by, by the cameras. Um, you know, uh, Messi looks just sad. I mean, it's like a sad human being. And there's no joy there. You know, there's no joy in the way either side presents themselves. And absent that, it just comes down to the fact that right now, 1-11 to 11 on the pitch at any given time, uh, I would argue that Real Madrid is a vastly superior team. I'm I'm just not sure it's close anymore. It it really doesn't feel like it, you know, and and they're also a more well coached team. We we talked about Correct. Zidane at the end of last season and, and just how much you know, he how much respect he deserves for what he's done with this club and it just feels like all you have to do right now to to beat Barcelona is is just have a, a disciplined team, Jeff. You know, like if, if you can stay within yourself, wait for your chances, they will come because 
they just they they can't. There's not enough there with Barcelona anymore. Like Busquets, why why is Busquets still starting matches? Uh, he's way past it. They they need to move on. They need to move forward. And Coleman, I've seen nothing out of the Coleman era so far to suggest that he knows how to paper over these cracks for for the year ahead. It looks like it could be a really grim season for for Barca. And you know they're not getting. You you mentioned Messi. He's got one goal this season in La Liga. Mm. It was a penalty. He has zero goals from open play in now five five appearances. This yeah. is the longest stretch of his career since 05-06. When have we really seen Messi have this little impact in La Liga matches? Basically, never. And I, I guess, what, what more did we really expect when they kept him there against his will, right? Yeah, that I mean, that's the biggest thing. I, again, I get back to this. Nobody looks like they're having fun. And look, I understand that this, we all understand that in every sport, this is a different, this is a different time. But, uh, you know, what really stood out to me, and and I think where it really manifested itself is watching Henson Fati play and just comparing how he was at what, at, at 17 compared to some of his other, some of his other teammates. Like, you know, I, I, I would love, at some point, I'd love Messi to look at this kid and realize that you know, the thing that stands out to me about him is when you rattle off his list of attributes, he also, Dan, seems to know, <clears throat> seems to know how to play with Messi. And maybe that in the long run will be something that will energize Messi. The fact that he's got this young guy who knows how to play with him, like they complement each other so well, even even this this weekend, there were times where you saw the interplay between them, and you thought there's, you know, it was just brilliant. And most of the time, it was Fati playing off of 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 Messi. So, but other than that, yeah, again, I look around that team, and it was just, it didn't look like anybody wanted to be there. I, there was just there there was no fun. Uh, I know I, I use fun; it's a very simple word, but. That's one thing I always associate with that game. Yeah, it's tense and there's a lot of aggressiveness and it can get nasty at times, but you really get the sense that everybody on that pitch, when Real plays Barca, that everybody on that pitch knows the eyes of the world are on them. And this is probably the biggest sporting event of the particular weekend around the world. And it was just, it was, it was dull. That's, that's the only word to describe it. You know, uh, (laughs) Philip Coutinho, Plays for Bayern, oh. looks great. Plays for Liverpool, he's a star. You know what he reminds me? He's he's like uh, he's like Diego Forlan at, uh, at at Manchester United. It's just like what <laughs> is that? That's mm-hmm. the same guy that was scoring boatloads of goals everywhere else, um, and and yet uh, Coutinho at, at Barca can't can't seem to do anything. He's he's joyless, and that's I think the best way to describe Barcelona right now. And and, and you know, Fati, and I'm, I'm gonna yeah. No, I'm I'm just Go gonna ahead. jump in, and I'm gonna say this too. You know, I'm sure there are people out there who are going to say, well, you know, Real, it was a bounce back from, from the match against Shakhtar. No, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, they were okay. They were fine. But I, I would be willing to bet if you press them, they would tell you they expected more from, from Barcelona. Like Barcelona should have gone into that match thinking that they had these guys. These guys had to be wobbling, right? And I didn't get any sense of that at all. I thought Barca played scared. Now, I am going to say this. I really wonder if 
we have underestimated the impact of the short training period on Ronald Koeman's uh, ability to put his mark on this team. I, I think in defense of him, because I think he's a terrific manager, in defense of him, you have to say that. But I look, I thought when he made the move that at some point he was going to realize that he probably did not make for him a great career move. Because you know one thing you don't want to be? You don't want to be the guy managing Barca when Messi leaves. You just yeah. don't. Uh, there's there's so much there right now with, with Messi. And, and, you know, he hasn't scored in El Clasico since Ronaldo left, um, which is uh, he needs years Ronaldo. now. He, he does, I think he needs you know? Ronaldo. I think he absolutely needs Ronaldo on the pitch with him to elevate his game. I truly believe that. And and we just we we haven't seen it from Messi, and and you can tell uh, the way that he's playing right now. It's just um, joyless, as we've said a few times. Now you, you look at the other side, and and Madrid gets through this, and again discipline rules the day for them, especially once they went up two one. Um, they they really were compact. Barca didn't find a way through at all, and and it was always going to be Madrid finding the next goal on the counterattack before Barca found an equalizer. You know, we didn't talk about this a ton, but this is the most wild summer transfer window I think I've ever seen from the Galacticos. Uh, transfers out, Reguillon, James, Bale, Brahim Diaz, Hakimi. Transfers in. Get that nobody. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's where the pause comes in. This isn't uh, the Galacticos. They're just like you know, blue collar Real Madrid. Uh, probably the most blue collar Real Madrid I've ever seen in my life. Of course, there's still talent there and, and brilliance in some of the players, but uh, that's that's not the way that they play and not the way that they've gotten results under Zidane over the last 12 months. I, I guess this is kind of a holding pattern for them. Are they, yeah, are they holding I, out for Mbappe? I mean, I think they probably are, but I also think what must be said is we will see. I, I look. I'm not. I'm not one of those people who ever ever doubt Zidane as as a manager or a coach. I think he. Yes, he's been gifted with some remarkable players, but you know, as from covering baseball, Joe Torre was a really good manager. He had great players. He made it all work. And I and and I think the winner this year, the winner this year is going to be Zidane because they're still a good a good club. They're good enough to win La Liga. I, I I think they'll hang around in, in, in Champions League. And, you know, he's a guy, if, if, if he can keep this team together without any of those transfers coming in and learning to recycle some of the guys he already has, I, it's going to say a lot about him as a as a manager and as a coach. And that's the one the one thing I will say about, about what I saw from Real Madrid is whereas Zidane looked down at his bench and – and, and throughout this season has seen guys that he can use and isn't afraid to utilize them. Kuman still seems afraid to utilize a lot of his, a lot of his players. And, uh, yeah. you know, that that's in the long run, I think that's going to hurt him. But again, I, I have to throw an asterisk in there. It's not as if he's had a couple of months to, to learn this team or, or five months to learn this team. He's kind of, he's, he's learning on the run. Uh, Madrid had lost to Shakhtar in Champions League. They had lost to Cadiz last weekend before uh, beating Barcelona, who uh, will take on Juventus. That should be an interesting matchup this week. Both teams struggling, and uh, 
Unfortunately, Ronaldo will not play in that match because of mm. uh, COVID-19. He has not yet uh, been released. So, Alfonso Davies, um, it has... When we started this show, Jeff, uh, Davies was the topic du jour, it seemed like, every week with the way that he was blitzing through defenses in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League as well. The start to this season has not been quite as good. Uh, Losing his place in the first team as Lucas Hernandez uh, took uh, the starting left-back job with Bayern and Hansi Flick saying uh, Davies just is out of form right now. Mm -hmm. Now uh, he suffers an ankle ligament injury and is out six to eight weeks, Alfonso Davies. Yeah, I, I mean, what can you say about it? You, uh, if you saw the play, you knew as soon as he went down um, what had happened. Uh, I mean, the look in his face was probably would would, would tear your heart out. But um, yeah, I I looked at his I looked at his his early season form and wondered if maybe. Even as much as he's a young guy and as much as he's in terrific shape, you know, he, he ran an awful lot. He covered an awful lot of ground last this past season for a club that won the Champions League. Mm-hmm. He played a lot of football and didn't have much downtime between, uh, you know, but, but between uh, the end of, of the Bundesliga season or the Champions League, more specifically, and the restart of the Bundesliga season so i was watching his his early season form and i and it to me it just simply seemed as if it, it was this this is something he's going to have to learn you know this is an it's an odd off season for everybody it was a strange season for everybody and i i really think you need to you need to carry that asterisk around with you all year you have to keep in mind that athletes are creatures of habit and a lot of their habits were interrupted here. So I had kind of written off that early season start. I didn't know, frankly, how much of it was his performance and how much of it was Hansi Flick just deciding that I'm, he, his team is going to have a long season again. They're Champions League favorites, I would argue. And he's had to make some changes. He's lost some players. He's got some players who are getting older. And I don't know how much of it was form or how much of it was, well, I have Lucas Hernandez. Let me see what he can do. You know, and and I think especially now, given the way the economics of the game, the game is, you don't want to be one of those coaches who's got a guy your team paid 70 million pounds for 70 million euros for sitting on the bench and doing nothing because management's going to say, well, wait a minute, we're up against the wall here. We paid this much money for this guy. You're not using him. Uh, what's the point? So I didn't know how much of it was performance and how much of it was simply just uh, circumstances. But uh, yeah, look, it, it, it's he's going to be out for six to eight weeks. They're saying the one thing that is really strange to me is it, it seems Danny as if every player who has gone down with an injury this year has come back really quickly. And, and I'll be interested in seeing if that's the case. You know, Allison was back. Allison was supposed to be out for, for six weeks. Allison was back for Liverpool. So let's, let's, let's kind of keep our powder dry and see just how long he is out. Uh, you know, and, and uh, the one thing we know, especially in Germany with their physical therapy, it works wonders. 
and 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 let's see if he really is that for that length of time i wouldn't be surprised if we see him back closer to four weeks yeah, and it had only been a, a few appearances, too, uh, for, for Davies. But the quick turnaround between the seasons, uh, he, he, in, even in those few appearances, he wasn't shining in the way that he was towards the end of last year. But that is a pretty high bar that he had set. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, you know, now we, he and Jonathan David, two Canadians nominated for the Golden Boy Award. And, you know, this this injury, as as much as it's kind of the first real hiccup of his very young career, Davies is going to turn uh, 20 years old. He's officially going to leave his teens uh, in the next couple of weeks. But it's it's truly been an incredible season. This is kind of the first roadblock he's hit. I know he didn't hit the ground running when he left the Whitecaps and joined Bayern Munich, but not many uh, 17, 18 year olds do that when they make their first big move. Now, uh, we'll see how he rebounds from this, but uh, I'm expecting big things for sure. One of the best things, I guess, uh, if you want to look at it positively from a Canadian perspective, Jeff, uh, none of the big matches for Canada are coming up anytime soon. So uh, that's that's kind of the positive mm-hmm. probably for, for John Herdman. And as for Bayern, I mean, it feels like ages ago that they lost 4-1 to Hoffenheim. They absolutely crushed Atleti midweek. It wasn't even a contest. It looked like they were playing some minnow club out of Cyprus, Apoel, you know, <laughs> and, and it was Atletico Madrid. And now uh, they, they blast Eintracht Frankfurt 5-0. Robert Lewandowski scores a hat-trick. Uh, there's, there's no doubt who is the Champions League favorite. It is, it is still Bayern Munich, even if repeating is very difficult. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any there's any doubt about that, and and you know they've got the depth. I mean, we just talked about Real and Barca, and 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 what we've seen from them, and what we've seen from Barca. The the thing that makes Bayern this Bayern team different than any Bayern team I can remember in some time, and we talked about this last year, is the fact that there is they they are the least robotic Bayern team that I can remember. You watch them play. Uh, they play with a smile on their face. Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller is now saying, and, and we kind of, I, I kind of forecast this in one of those on- online hits we did, we did last year when the pandemic started up. Thomas Muller is now talking about wanting to be back in the German national team. And based on how he's playing, how could you, how could you not have him uh, on that team? They, they have so much fun. They clearly enjoy playing with each other. The sort of, you know, Hollywood FC, that that whole thing seems to have gone by the wayside. And I really do credit Hansi Flick. I think Hansi Flick has them enjoying their football. Um, you know, very quietly, and I don't think this gets enough gets enough play. You're starting to see it a bit in Germany. I think Manuel Neuer's game has bounced back. I think he's finally, it's taken him some time, but I think he's finally recovered from from that World World Cup debacle. And yeah, they're 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 the real deal. Um, they will have to, for them not to win the Champions League, it will take something outrageous, like a COVID outbreak for, for them not to do it. Because I, I look around at every team in Europe, and look, I thought Atleti, I, I, I said last week, I, I will, we'll see what Atleti's all about. I thought they could be a sleeper. You were right. They were just steamrolled. Yeah. And, and I, I think that was, that was a telling match for Atleti. And it was also a telling match, telling match for Bayern. 
Manchester United and Chelsea over the weekend, a match uh, to forget, Jeff. Unfortunately, I did spend two hours watching that on a beautiful Saturday morning here in Vancouver. But I, my takeaway is is this. Neither Manchester United or Chelsea, doesn't matter who they bring in and how much money they spend and how many stars they've got in their squad. They might have the best squads in the Premier League, and even still they decidedly do not. But with their current managers, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Frank Lampard, neither of these teams will reach the summit with their current managers. Um, they're, you know, you can't, you've got as much talent as these two teams do. And your only answer to stop your team from leaking goals is to just flip the switch and play an ultra-defensive style. I, I, I think what, what happened on Saturday was, was pretty embarrassing for both clubs. Yeah, I, look, I'm not ready to give up on Frank Lampard yet. Uh, he's trying to incorporate some new players into his mix. What concerns me for... Uh, for Manchester United is it's it's the same old group. You know, there's nothing new about that group that that we saw out there. Donny Van de Beek isn't 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 starting. Um, which which why you know like McTominay yeah. and Fred? I understand Pogba is you know getting over coronavirus, and uh, I, I think Ollie Ollie even said you know maybe he brought him back a little too quickly, but. Van de Beek? Like, he, yeah. he can't start over McTominay and Fred? I, I mean, come on. Give me a break here. Like, what would you spend $40 million on this guy for? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have as big a, as much of an issue with, with that as a lot of people do. McTominay's, McTominay has been decent. And I think Fred, frankly, Fred has been one. And I don't know what this says about Manchester United. But Fred's been one of their more consistent players since the restart, uh, going back to the pandemic. He, 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 he really has. But look, I'm with you. You've got Van uh, Van de Beek. You brought him in because he allegedly gave you something you don't have. Um, Chelsea would concern me a little more, just because I don't understand why are you com- why you are compiling all that offensive talent and not turning it loose against mm-hmm. a club like Manchester United. How can you not – your eyes should light up when you see Lindelof and Maguire out there and Shaw for that matter. They should absolutely your, – your eyes have to light up. And, you know, maybe they're getting used to – I mean, there's a lot of excuses you could have You could have for Lampard. But that is, that's what really disappointed me was the fact that I expected to see a lot more from that from, – from, from Chelsea than I saw. I didn't like – I didn't like not starting Mason Mount. Mason Mount has had a pretty good start to the year for them. I understand Pulisic is an important piece, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't like not starting Mason Mount. I thought Mount, Havertz, and, and Werner have a nice they, – they've got they, – they had a nice thing going, and that was interrupted. So, yeah, I, I was – as a Manchester United fan, I just kind of shrugged. Uh, if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be probably a little more upset because I think that was a chance for Chelsea to lay a marker down. And I, I, I got to say this. I, I, I guarantee you that there are no managers in the Premier League were happier to see the match played behind closed doors than Frank and, and Ole because Ole would have been – I mean, they would have been hooted off the pitch at halftime at Old Trafford. I mean, they would have. It, it, yeah, and it's – 
It was a good week for United overall. You know, they beat Newcastle, beat PSG uh, with the upset there, and then then they come home to this at Old Trafford. Uh, I agree on the Chelsea part, though. You know, you spend over two hundred million quid on on that attack, and then just completely neuter them with that style of play. You've got to be able to find balance. And we said this in the offseason. Okay, Frank, it's been fun. Honeymoon period's over now. Now you've got the big money squad. Now you've got to produce results. And we haven't seen it yet. It's been a terrible start to the season so far for Chelsea. And, And their answer to cure their leaky goals is to just park the bus. They did it against Sevilla in, in midweek in the Champions League, and they did it again here uh, against Manchester United. The first two goalless draws uh, that, that Frank Lampard has had as as manager. And, and maybe he's being pragmatic, and, and you put the building blocks there, and they move from here. But to have Pulisic, Werner, and uh, Kai Havertz up front and have just such little service to do anything throughout the entire match. I I was just man, what what is Chelsea doing here with with all this expensive talent and not having the manager that knows how to get the best out of it to leave Mateo Kovacic on the bench um, and and go for the two man pivot in midfield uh, with Conte and Jorginho. Uh, they did the job, I guess, if you were looking for the scoreless draw, but. Other than that, uh, really disappointing from Chelsea. Going to be a tough couple of weeks for Manchester United. They've got uh, Arsenal and Everton upcoming mm-hmm. on the schedule, whereas it uh, opens up a little bit for Chelsea. But I am uh, I am not convinced. We may have a very uh, a very interesting top four this year, Jeff. I know our predictions are kind of already out the window, but with the way that Aston Villa and Leeds and uh, Everton have started. I do think that there's a, a big chance for some variance in there in, with the top four. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not in yet on uh, on, on a couple of those teams. I'm. I'm definitely not in on. I'm definitely not in on Villa. I think there's still far too many question marks. Leeds. You know, Leeds is a great story, but I, I still think at the end of the day, in some in some order, you're going to see the, the top four will be the usual suspects with. The possible exception of Wolves. I know they gave up a late equalizer, but I I marvel at Wolves' ability to control a match and to always seem to find that one soft area, you know, in in in, in, a, in, in an opposing team. And I would really keep an eye on them. If this thing gets really topsy turvy, and if it continues to be really topsy turvy, I can kind of see Wolves just quietly sneaking in there. It's uh, MLS, uh, the Supporter Shields, and, uh, well, I mean, TFC had a rough week, but uh, Supporter Shield back on. So I guess uh, that, that argument we had last week, Jeff, we can, uh, we can put it to bed because uh, the Supporter Shield group crumbled under the pressure oh. of, uh, of, of Greg Vanny and, and the rest of the supporter groups around MLS uh, scathing them for their, uh, their decision to take away the Supporter Shield for this year. Yeah, I, I mean, hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll matter to TFC fans if the club's, if the club continues to play the way it has. I, I mean, look, I just, whatever. Yeah, fine, fine. Um, as I said, it's, uh, yeah, you know, enjoy the supporter shield. <laughs> it was, uh, it was crazy the way that it, uh, it all played out. 
and uh, how quick quickly they turned on their on their original decision after uh, after some pressure came from uh, outside outside forces. Uh, Dan Richo and Jeff Blair coming up. Tom Warville of the Athletic. Why are there so many goals? Should we expect it to continue? Will there be a regression to the mean and the chances for an unexpected champion? That's next here on a kick in the grass. Back in on a kick in the grass, and we've seen a ton of goals so far in the Premier League, and mostly across Europe through the start of this new season. Why is that? Should we expect it to continue? Our next guest has a little bit more. Tom Orville of The Athletic joining us now, analytics writer uh, for them. Thanks for this, Tom. How are you? Not too bad, thanks, guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, so it's it's been quite the start to the season. I think uh, we saw some lower scoring fixtures finally this uh, this past weekend. But in the overall, scoring is is up. Uh, what what's what's to make of this so far? Yeah, I'm I'm equally as perplexed as you guys. I mean, um, I think I did a piece for the Athletic recently looking at essentially the trends and and what is actually happening to scoring across um, across Europe. And I mean, in the Premier League, they're averaging over a goal a game extra uh, versus kind of historical levels. Um, and yeah, I think that there's a there's a confluence of factors we can get into. But I do think that this kind of microwave preseason, uh, as, as some people are calling it, is having an, an impact. Um, injuries i think that um there's definitely more soft tissue and muscle injuries that it's been reported this year versus um at similar seasons similar times of seasons past um and then i also just think it's the it's an all-time kind of hot streak and there's nothing really in the the underlying figures that suggests that the structural nature of the game has changed too much just strikers are finishing their chances what is statistically significant Tom, I mean, obviously, one goal a game sounds more uh, sounds often very significant. But but it, for a statistician, what would constitute a significant significant increase? I think what we'd probably want to see is uh, an increase in kind of the underlying number or quality of of shots in a game. Um, and I think at the moment the the number of kind of the total game expected goals or the number of chances, whatever, where you kind of slice and dice that data hasn't really changed. So um, I just feel that at the moment this hot streak is is pretty much just that. It's pretty much a hot streak. And um, yeah, we're seeing an extra goal a game, um, but I, I do feel it, it cools down because the underlying nature is that the, the teams aren't getting good enough chances um, to keep this, this streak up really. It's um, I mean, there's so many different factors right now that kind of maybe add to um, the eye test. You know, you, you mentioned the expected goals and, and things seem pretty normal at that level of it. But obviously the results are showing something otherwise. But now we're got to go back seven months and uh, there's no fans in the stands. Uh, more recently, this season starts. There's a lot of fixtures piling up on top of each other. There wasn't much of an off season for teams to prepare so much. Uh, do we have enough data to kind of show how, how all of those factors are, are maybe affecting this? Yeah. Home, home field advantage is, is one that specifically I've been kind of asked to, to tackle a fair amount of times. And um, I don't know. I just, it, it just feels tough to place your finger on exactly like, yes, of course, having no fans in grounds uh, is going to make a difference, but it's hard to untangle how much of that 
kind of at this moment in time at least increase of scoring is having much of an impact um we are also seeing a higher proportion in the premier league at least um a high proportion of away wins than usual um and i think that is kind of borne out from there being more goals when there's more goals and more points in any sport the chance of a draw kind of lessens um and i i feel that that is is definitely having an impact um to some extent um but then again if you look at kind of you know we obviously care a lot about the premier league but if you look at other leagues if you look at italy the trends are similar but if you look at spain scoring is largely flat and there's not actually been that many changes even though they have kind of similar ish restraints on on fans and you'd hope to see a similar impact on on home advantage so um the statistician data scientist in me of course wants to say um we don't have a large enough sample size yet um but whether that's a satisfactory answer for most fans, um, yeah, I think it's, it's still up for debate. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, you know, when you when you put it in that that regard, I mean, my first my first reaction would be, well, there, there's there's some sort of there's some sort of defensive philosophical defensive issue in soccer right now, or something like that, or that's going through some sort of, of of revolution. But when you put it in the, the context of expected goals, at least in the prem, not being up that much, it, it really does point to something else, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I do kind of wonder. I mean, and it's it's been written and, and kind of spoken about before, but um, with with defenders if you make an error it's so much more costly than a striker making an error right like Mm -hmm. if a defender is out of of position or fails to challenge or fails to time a block correctly they're getting punished so much more than um than the attacker does from you know not hitting the target or missing a shot um and i think that maybe we'll start to see as defenders kind of like ease themselves into the season a bit more um you know whether that has an impact but right now i think it's difficult to to find a way numerically and tangibly to see you know whether that's changed. I think that measuring the defensive side of the game uh, from a scouting recruitment, however you want to put it, point of view, is really tough because there's so many of those kind of intangibles. Um, so I think that's a that would be a lovely thing for us to be able to to have numbers mm-hmm. on around you know positioning and things like this to to answer more granularly. Um, but sadly, the the kind of numbers side of the game is not quite there just yet. Well, we, we know how much managers uh, dislike goals against. And, and I think you know the early season uh, variance uh, showed most in the uh, way that Manchester United and Chelsea lined up, where both Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, and Frank Lampard lined up their squads uh, with a defensive mindset, just uh, frightened at how many goals that they've been leaking early on. And uh, it seems managers are, are want to, to try and get rid of all of the goals that are happening right now. Yeah, I think um, that game is a, a fantastic example where in seasons gone by in front of fans, I don't think that... I think you get the fans on the back of players and managers in those games. You can imagine Old Trafford would be on fire if they saw the display that they kind of saw, even just going into half-time in that, in that game. Um, so, yeah, I just... I, I mean, even kind of Arsenal to some extent as well. Um, like, really, the game plans, there's not that... I feel there's not that feedback loop at the moment which comes from the fans um, and that's so important at times to push players and managers on. Um, but then you have kind of seen a couple of examples with Ancelotti and Mourinho where they both had kind of a full 
uh, I guess they've had a, 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 as full a preseason as possible to get with their teams, and the opening few weeks for both those sides was was really good. Um, Everton are now kind of facing a bit of a an injury crisis at right back, uh, and you know Lucas Digne's got a, a red card, which Charleston was sent off against Liverpool. So there's some impact on kind of the, the quality of the squad in the next few fixtures, but I do think we're seeing some managers who. Um, the pressure is off a little bit more and their, their teams have been a bit more expressive than they have last season. Yeah, Tom, one of the one of the conversations we have in, in North America, um, particularly in baseball, which is a sport I'm really familiar with, is how do you how do you judge analytically the season that we've just seen? You know, Major League Baseball only played a 60 game regular season. There were some rules changes. Teams weren't uh, teams weren't allowed or, or played within their own division. I should say they played their own division in the other league. They didn't go Eastern teams didn't go out west, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the year, club executives are going to be tasked with the responsibility of figuring out what evidence that you know what is the evidence of that that trunc- truncated season suggest. I'm just wondering. From a, from a soccer point of view, not just from an analytic point of view, but maybe uh, maybe in, in the transfer window as well. Um, is it going to be hard for teams to analyze just what exactly happened this season? Like if I sit down and look at, I'm just going to pick a play. If I sit down and look at Marcus Rashford um, at the end of the year, it, it, am I going to be able to draw conclusions about his performance based on this season because it is so different he hasn't had as much downtime as he'd normally have that you know goals are up things of that nature yeah i think that's a great question i definitely think that um i definitely am intrigued to see like how how you know people in recruitment or at least like you know we don't have gms over here but how sporting directors and that are gonna appraise performance i do think that a lot of what's happening deserves, you know, is deserving of, of an asterisk against it and essentially saying, you know, this is under such extenuating circumstances. But then again, like, the Premier League isn't as impacted much. It doesn't have this kind of bubble mechanism in mm. place. Teams are still playing the same fixture list. They're still playing the same quality of teams. So, um, like, you you would kind of hope and expect that to some extent, even though there's a lack of fans there, that level of kind of effort, professionalism, whatever, is going to remain consistent. So um, I think myself personally, the way that I'm kind of like viewing the season and writing about things on, on the site and things like that, there isn't as much um, like focus on that really. But I definitely do think that from a, an internal club perspective, um, you know, the way that, that teams are judging their own performances, I definitely think they will they will have this uh, have this in mind. Um, I, but yeah, I mean, again, I, I think that on the most part, we're seeing more goals, but the underlying trends of the game are, are fairly um, normal. But obviously, if you look mm-hmm. at the league table, it is it is kind of, it feels upside down almost right now. I mean, Man U are, are right near the bottom, Man City are mid-table. It just feels kind of, you know, very, very different. And, and that's not just in England either, Tom. That's, uh, you know, in, in Spain, Real Sociedad is is top right now. In Italy, AC Milan have revived and, and they're top of the table. Um, it, it's really across the board where we're seeing um, unexpected leaders atop the table. It is still very early in the season, but should we prepare for unexpected champions potentially this year because of all of these extra factors? Yeah, I do think this year more than more than any, like I think it's as good a chance as you're going to get to see unexpected champions around various competitions. And I think that you know the main reason for that is the fixtures 
uh, I mean, at least I can speak for the Premier League. I'm not so sure on the schedules of, of other leagues as well. But um, the game's coming thick and fast and the recovery time between games is, is short. Um, there are, you know, obviously this this lack of fans that we've mentioned. Um, and I do think in some leagues as well, there's currently kind of a power shift or, or teams that are trying to retool and they're in the, the midst of, I guess, what you guys would deem kind of a rebuild. Um, you've got Barcelona who kind of, in a long-term rebuild, they let Luis Suarez go to Atletico Madrid, which <laughs> it seems just a, such a baffling move on paper. Um, I don't think you'd ever see Sergio Aguero moving to Chelsea for a free transfer anytime soon. Um, and then, yeah, I think like in Italy, Juve have, have got Perlo, but it seems that his, his tactics, his squad are going to take some time to gel. And I think that um, it's, a, it's a kind of absolute you know, pots of factors that, that could lead to that. Um, I'm kind of hopeful that it just leads to more attacking and entertaining football. Um, I think that Milan is a perfect example where they're building the right way. They are, they've gone away from kind of the very Italian and insular model of just buying from Italian clubs. Uh, and they are branching out and buying players based on, you know, based on data. And they're, they're using a very kind of analytical means of scouting and recruiting. And I think that, in the long run, that's going to pay dividends for them uh, against a backdrop of the rest of the Serie A, which um, is maybe less forward-thinking. Uh, Tom, when, when you look at at the uh, at, at what we've seen uh, so far this year from Leeds United, um, you know, obviously they, there was a, a ton of interest. They're a they're, they're a storied club. The else is a you know a storied a storied manager, a storied coach. What have you seen from them that suggests, or is there anything, any underlying analytical uh, evidence that what we've seen from them will hold up over the long haul? And I'm not saying they're going to win uh, the Premier League, but you know, a chance of finishing someplace around sixth, maybe, maybe between sixth and eighth, and getting a European spot. So definitely with, with Leeds, I mean, going into the season, I think uh, people were were largely split. I think at times where. Obviously, Bielsa is, like you say, a storied manager, uh, an all-time great tactician. Um, but would he be able to kind of elevate this squad and bring them to a level that's in line with the Premier League? And especially a season and, and, and kind of a transfer window where he wouldn't have much budget to use. Um, he would have to kind of upgrade a couple of key positions and that would be it. Um, and I think just straight away, we've seen that Leeds may be similar to Sheffield United last season. Have kind of They look really at home in the Premier League. Uh, they play some really attractive football. Um the level of the players, like with Chris Wilder and Sheffield United, just kind of gets elevated and, and they kind of slot in perfectly. I mean, Luke Ayling right now looks like a really, really useful um, fullback. Uh, Matthias Klitsch in midfield, uh, it's just like, again, this just looks like his level. It looks like he's, he should have been or, or has been playing in the, in the Premier League for years. Um, and then Patrick Bamford, who was a player who in the Championship last year undershot his expected goals more than anyone. I think more than anyone in the, in the top five European leagues. And that essentially tells us that he was getting a ton of great chances and, and, and whiffing on so many of them. Um, I think he, he was kind of minus 12 for the season. And this year, he's you know he's second on the scoring charts. He's already got a hat-trick. He's got six goals in total. So there's a lot to kind of like about leads from the eye test. Uh, and then in terms of a kind of, you know, if we put stock in expected goals, um, at this point of the season, they're kind of expected goal difference, which is the average quality of chances they create versus those that they concede. Um, it's just around point. Point one for the whole season, so they they're just about um, 
you know, profiting slightly on, on the attacking front over the, de- the defensive end. Um, but that puts them 10th in the league table, and that's above Arsenal. It's above Man City as well at the moment, and Manchester United. So, um, you know, the, the season is a few games young and obviously dictated a bit by the, the strength of the schedule. But Leeds have played Liverpool and Man City. They've got a point from those um, two games when, you know, there was an argument to suggest that they, they could have got more. Um, and they've, they've looked really solid. So I'm excited to see more of Leeds. Um, I just hope that uh, for them, it feels like the strength and depth isn't there. And especially in a season where muscle injuries and, and being having so many games is going to have an impact. Um, could it be that, you know, Leeds drop off, not because of their style not working, but just because the, the quality of players drops off if they have to rely on, on the kids more. Tom, I know, I know at the Athletic you've you've looked at um, you know what Liverpool can do to cover up uh, the absence of Virgil Van Dijk uh, through in, through injury, um, but it, it's going to be a while yet before before January. H- how do you quantify one player's true effect on a team? You know, points wise, how do you look at what could happen to Liverpool without Virgil Van Dijk in their lineup, and and how you? Jurgen Klopp can, can maybe cover in the time being? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that I've seen, uh, you know, a fair few approaches now on, on how we can get to some sort of, you know, war or points added or with or without your stats in football. Uh, and every single approach kind of, to me, is a bit subpar and, and, and doesn't entirely pass the smell test. Um, and it's just, to some extent, like football is 11 men versus 11, there's far fewer score changes, there's far fewer lineup changes. And I think that to try and isolate the impact of one given player, sadly, it isn't as easy as just being able to do that. Um, I think that the slower but arguably more correct way is just looking at you know the skills that that player has and what that means on a the tactical information implication sorry of of the team. So in Van Dijk's case, he is just elite in the air. Um, he has such an aura, such a presence. He's a one of the best kind of like one-on-one tacklers in the league, but he kind of never has to tackle. And I think that I've kind of written about it before, saying he has this air of he has this kind of anti-gravity around him that attacks will will kind of repel away from him because they just kind of know that he is he's a stopper. He's going to end the attack. Um, I think losing losing him means that you're losing that dominance in the air on set pieces and and an open play. Um, you are losing a player who is so strong. He also has pretty decent pace. Um, and I think that being able to replace those things, you're not going to get all that in one package, either through an internal transfer in the squad or realistically in the transfer market either. So I would expect Liverpool to kind of reshuffle. Uh, and there's been some talk of a back three, maybe playing Jordan Henderson at right centre-back. Um, I think Fabinho has been fine at centre-back for now. Um but definitely, I think that teams will try and prey upon his uh, his lack of pace and and maybe kind of you know how can we tease apart the things that Liverpool are now messing with Van Dijk and uh, attack attack those parts of them um, whenever we're playing them. It uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Tom, we really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, keep up the great work at the Athletic. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time and uh, yeah, take care. Thanks, Tom. Stay safe. Coming back with your questions, it's injury time with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on A Kick in the Grass. Don't pass the buck, managed by Richard Buck, as the top scorer in the Kick in the Grass Fantasy League this week. A combo of hat-trick hero Patrick Bamford 
and Palace talisman Wilfred Zaha did the job to score 31 of his uh, 54 points. Shout out to Richard on the solid week. You can join us at PremierLeague.com with the code PPIBD6. Highest score of the week gets a shout out here on A Kick in the Grass uh, where you will continue to beat me and Jeff Blair. Uh, Fantasy is not, not going well. Bamford and Zaha? <laughs> Like, Who picks Bamford, period? Um, good for him scoring a hat trick, but that came out of left field. I, uh, I I uh, did the, the great job of pulling my triple captain on Mohamed Salah this weekend against Sheffield go. United. Uh, didn't, didn't work out so well. Way too early to play your triple captain. <laughs> Got Way antsy. too early. There's going to be a, there'll be a fixture. There'll be a fixture backlog in the second half of the season. And, Somebody will, there will be some match postponed because of COVID. And then, you know, it'll happen. You'll turn around. You'll find out that Raul Jimenez has back-to-back matches against Newcastle and Sheffield or something like that. <laughs> and you could you could use it on the double game week. That's right. Uh, exactly. All right. Injury time. Uh, it's your questions here for the show. Uh, let's go to Randy first. Randy's asking, uh, why can't Arsenal score? Sounds like Randy well, is a scorned Gunners fan right now. Yeah. Um, I Look, I, I've been saying that I think that there's a real issue with Lacazette and Aubameyang on the pitch at the same time. Uh, that was not the case this weekend. Both of them had some chances. Uh, Lacazette missed a couple of chances. I... I'm still in on Arsenal. I, I I think that at some point they will figure out a way. Once Thomas Partey has been there for a while, they'll 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 find their balance. Uh, I, by and large, I like what I've seen from them this season. I don't think goals are going to be an issue. But again, I do, I do wonder about Lacazette and Aubameyang on the pitch at the same time. Uh, it's just something I've always. It's something I've always felt. I'm not entirely certain that that uh, having Enketia out there doesn't doesn't serve Aubameyang's purposes, maybe more than having than having Lacazette. But uh, I'm not. I'm honestly not worried about Chelsea. I'll tell you, Manchester or about Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea, and Arsenal. If I'm an Arsenal fan right now, I'm feeling very confident because I I love the acquisitions they've made. I think once it all fits together, they're going to be a they're going to be a fine team. Scoring scoring goals won't be an issue for them. Yeah, right, right now Arteta, um, the shine wearing off a little bit um, for me. I, I'm just waiting to see what that next development is with their squad because right now it seems a little bit stagnant. And you know me, I like goals, and right now we're not seeing it. It also comes with the backdrop of of the whole Ozil situation. He's left out of the Premier League squad. He's their attacking midfielder. He's a guy that creates chances. You see he as soon as he played they, for five years. I I'm telling you, Jeff, I I think the the whole like it's a joke and I, I think it's funny. You can throw up those stats like, hey, Mesut Ozil's created the most chances in the Premier League over the last 10 years. It's like, yeah, of course, because they all happened in the first 5 years of that stretch anyways. But it's it was time to move on from Ozil, and let's let's just get over that. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. 
but uh, it also comes with the backdrop of Arsenal being completely unable to create chances uh, as of right now. Uh, Jason, if you could add one player to your favorite team from any era, who would it be and why? Who would you one, add to Manchester one, United right now? From any era? Any era. Jason with the big questions today. Yeah, that is uh boy, I'm 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 going down right now. Uh, yeah. You know what? They could get a laugh. They laugh. A slightly yeah. younger Sergio Ramos. Or a to younger Manchester Sergio United. Ramos. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That would be my Ram- that would be my that would be my choice. Because the biggest issue I think is still still defense and 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 marshalling the defense and i think he would be i think he would yeah at his height i would absolutely take him yeah i think um manchester united definitely need a center back so that that makes a ton of sense i'll say a patrick Vieira uh, returning to juventus in uh peak patrick Vieira form they they so desperately need a, a midfielder and um uh, Pirlo is the one coaching right now, but Vieira, if you could bring back prime Vieira into Juventus, you know, that season where they got into the whole Calciopoli scandal and he was there, I mean, he was fantastic. But if you could if you could have him with Ronaldo and, and the rest of that squad, uh, they'd definitely be more of a Champions League favorite than I currently see them right now and you know uh, who else i would add to i would add i would take i would take back rio ferdinand manchester really rio ferdinand i would take him too okay the leader Uh, (laughs) just anything to get rid of lindelof for jeff blair that's that's all that matters right now uh callum with the final question anything to worry about with tfc's five nil loss uh well considering we always say this with TFC. We always talk about their injuries, 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 injuries. Uh, we had Greg Vanny on uh, on Writer's Block earlier this, uh, last week, and we asked him about you know, all the, the things TFC is going through. And I'm not going to make excuses for them, but you know, I, I didn't realize this. For example, the the university they're using, the campus had a shutdown because of COVID-19, so they ended up training on a baseball field. Uh, for a couple of days leading up to that match. Uh, they've had a lot of things, they've had a lot of things like that where scheduling has been interrupted. So I'm just, I'm putting that out there. That's not to make an excuse, but that is that is a fact. I, again, they had a lot of guys hurt. They really missed Io Akinola. Uh, yeah. They missed his speed. You know, yeah, Josie Altador wasn't there and Jonathan Osorio wasn't there. But Akinola's speed is the thing that makes TFC tick right now. You can talk about Pozuelo, all of that. It's Akinola's speed that opens everything. It absolutely opens everything up for TFC. And not having him in the pitch really made a difference. Having said that, Dan, five goals is five goals. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there was some regression coming for TFC. So I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. The worst part is it comes against their biggest foe in the Eastern Conference in uh, in the Philadelphia Union. So that yeah, they've got maybe... N- they've got N- they've got NYCFC this week. So let's see let's let's see how they bounce back. 
Yeah. And as for Akinola, uh, still hoping he chooses Canada because uh, he's destined for Europe soon and uh, big things through the rest of his career because you're right. I mean, the speed, uh, everything that he brings to a team, tactical awareness, really smart player uh, with the way that he utilizes the space on the field, pulls defenders which way he wants. Uh, I, th I think there's a, a lot of good things coming for Io Akinola in the future. Jeff, that's it for us. We are back again next week. More uh, Champions League recaps and Manchester United Arsenal, one of the big fixtures going down next weekend. We'll be back for more. With all of that, Dan Richo and Jeff Blair, a kick in the grass.